0: Are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church? We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, it should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement. The pastor God has put over your life. For your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Titus chapter two, verses one through 10. This is the word of the Lord. To Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, I just thank you so much for your scriptures and the opportunity we have each week to study um, your scriptures together, Lord. And I thank you for Rob, who prepared um, a teaching for us this morning. And I pray that as we are listening to his sermon, that we will really hear what it is that he is saying to us, Lord, and that you will um, really change our hearts and transform us through this time of study, Lord. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
1: Well, we are so glad that you chose to gather with us here this morning. And um, what you just heard read was uh, out of Paul's letter, to Titus, the series that we're going through called Doctrine and Devotion. And the thread that we've seen woven through this, this whole book, this thread that's woven through the tapestry of this letter is that belief is meant to inform behavior that sound doctrine produces sound devotion. And and now we can't pretend that devotion is just for monks or that doctrine is, is just for theologians in high ivory towers. No, doctrine is for the nitty-gritty, boots-on-the-ground, ragamuffin, diverse group of Christians of men, women, and children of all ages, all economic statuses, all education levels, and all ethnicities. And in chapter 1, Paul is telling Titus to put the church leadership into order. And now as we transition to chapter two, he's telling him to put the household, the community of faith in order. Now, I can imagine last week, it was, as we talked about how sound doctrine produces sound older men, it was, it was tempting, was it not, ladies, for you guys to just zone out and maybe take a quick 30-minute nap while I was preaching? However, we encouraged you all to, to lean into the teaching because us men needed you to know these things so that you know where we need corrected and where we need encouraged in the faith. And as we talk about Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, about what countercultural women are to look like, I want to invite the men to do the same thing we invited the ladies to do last week. It is not time to zone out. As we talk about God's beautiful design for women made in his image, I invite you to lean in. Because this is what you want to affirm in your mothers. This is what you want to affirm in your sisters in Christ. And if God has gifted you with them, this is what you want to affirm in your daughters and your wives. And ladies, regardless of what season of life you find yourself in, whether you are single, married, widowed, Empty nester, a divorcee, or a brandly newly minted mom or wife. While some of what I might say to you today might not be relevant, the reality is you might need it today, and the reality might you might need it tomorrow or someday. Like we said back in our our lamentations series, I, I quoted an author uh, by the name of Jen Wilkin who describes Bible study like like currency, that we often come to God's word like a ATM machine with our debit card of current circumstances expecting to get this answer for today or an emotional boost for today. However, when we study God's word, we must treat our souls like savings accounts, that when we sit under faithful preaching, we must add small deposits over time. Because over time that will build a wealth of wisdom and a currency of spirit-filled responses for when we need it the most. This must be our posture today. Whether you are a man or a woman, whether you are young or whether you are old, whether you are single or whether you are married, our posture must be with humble receptivity today. Not just for what this has to say to the ladies, but the whole of this passage, all 10 verses, even though we're just studying three of the verses, all this is written to a countercultural community, not just countercultural women. See, so what we'll dig and discover in Titus 2, verses 3 through 5, is this treasure trove of gold for godly ladies that is unending. That Titus must teach sound doctrine to develop countercultural women. Paul will show Titus this, and he will teach, first point, who older women must become. Second, how they cultivate change. And third, what all this will accomplish. So first, who older women must become. Second, how they cultivate change. And finally, third point, what this will all accomplish. And my prayer is that you'll hear similar to last week that sound doctrine produces countercultural women. And so if you're ready to dive in, keep those Bibles open to Titus chapter two. Here's our first point, who older women must become. Paul continues to Titus in verse three, he says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. So this is who they must become. Getting drunk with wine or other intoxicating beverages was prevalent in Cretan culture. See, alcohol from God is meant to be a gift to be stewarded and to enjoy, not like the Cretans who look to it as a little g-god, to find their comfort, to find their ease and pleasure in at the end of a hard week where they just needed to take the edge off. Drunkenness has no part with godliness, because with drunkenness comes that loose tongue. See, older women are also not supposed to be slanderers or gossips, or in other passages of Scripture, you see that's busybodies going from house to house, slandering husbands, children, and other women. They love talking about others to tear the community down. And Paul is pulling no punches here. That word slanderers comes from the same root word as the devil. They sound like their father of lies who wants to tear down the community, not build it up. However, women who are reverent in behavior, see belief leads to behavior, their words build up the community, not tear it down. Words that encourage others, not discourage and take the courage out of them. To be reverent as an older woman, it's, it's not so much to be feared because of your age. It's not so much to be someone who is looking down on other people. No, to be reverent is to reveal and to reflect the one you revere, Jesus. It's practicing the presence of Jesus before others. You see, the only way that you can reflect the presence of Jesus, the one you revere, is if you are before the mirror that reflects him. The apostle James in his letter tells us that this mirror is his word. Now, ladies, if you spend any amount of time before a mirror, you know what a mirror is meant to do. It's meant to show you what's in place and out of place. James is saying that's what the word of God does for us. That if we aren't constantly before that mirror, we won't know who we are to reflect. We won't be able to tell what's in place or out of place. Sisters, you cannot bring the presence of Jesus before others if you aren't present before Jesus in his life-changing word. Your horizontal relationships must reflect your vertical relationship with Jesus. This is sound doctrine that produces sound devotion. And do you, do you see that word likewise sisters? Older women like older men are to be taught sound doctrine. Paul is convinced that women must be equipped in the same way that men are equipped that if they're equipped with sound doctrine, sound devotion will follow. And notice, I I love this. It doesn't say older women who are married, older women who have grandkids. No, it has nothing to say about relational status, which means these are all women of all relational status because they have unity in one relationship status. They are a daughter of the king. All older women, regardless if you are single or married or widowed, your job, Your job is to be reverent in behavior. This is who you are to become. Practice the presence of Jesus by reflecting the one you revere. Men, is this your primary prayer for your sisters and for your wives, that they would reflect Jesus and not magazine covers? Sisters, is this your prayer for other sisters in Christ? that they wouldn't reflect you, but they would reflect Jesus. This is who you are to become so that you know, that you know, second point, how women cultivate change, how you cultivate change. Look look at with me starting in verse four of chapter two. They, this is women, are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled pure working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands you know what one thing i love about the apostle paul is his holistic view of ministry within the church you know what he doesn't say he doesn't say older women go start an embroidery club with other older women to sew john 316 on your husband's cardigans no he Paul is promoting diversity, not affinity, of relationships within the church community. Older pouring into the younger. I mean, most of us, when we think of the word community, we think of modern sitcoms, right? Modern sitcoms with these group of friends. We know them from the last few de- decades. We got Seinfeld, we got the Wayne Brothers, and of course, friends. Let's be honest about these shows. They're basically affinity groups. They're childless, they're familyless, they're people living in commitmentless lives, and they're free from most pain, suffering, and the mund- really the mundaneness of real life. I mean, this is what Cretan culture valued and what American culture valued: sameness that leads to selfishness. Paul's vision for Titus and the church plants in Crete offer something richer something messier yet it's something real and it's worth it it's a kingdom that is made up of older generations committed to seeing jesus formed into all generations now this this is radical and revolutionary for first century christians because greco-roman culture they looked down on women and children but paul is valuing both here in verse four, saying older women teach those younger women to love their children. Equal in worth and value. But notice what else Paul is saying. late Ladies, I want you to hear me. You have a part to play in the church. You have a part to play in cultivating change, not just within your homes, but within the entire church community, whether you're married or singled. Cretan society saw women as small. However, God saw them and he sees you. Listen to me, he sees you. He sees you and he knows you and desires for you to be used to cultivate change, lasting change in our church community. Women are to be the catalyst for ongoing gospel transformation within a church community, within a home, like yeast does to flour and water in a dough recipe, is like women rooted in the word are that essential ingredient for a church to transform. It's what is seemingly small like yeast is what transforms everything into a bust, meal to a robust offering of the word through women to cultivate change in the church community. And pay attention, Paul doesn't say this is the job of the elders. No, Paul wants Titus to delegate this to women, to the older women, both single and married, to train younger women. He's saying train the trainers in doctrine. Train the trainers to teach what is good. Why? Because the corrupt teachers weren't. Corrupt teachers, you look back in chapter one, verse 11, they were upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. These younger women, like the older women, were tempted to get drunk all the time. Tempted to cheat on their spouses. I mean, you can read historical accounts of the first century in Greco-Roman culture. Abortions were prevalent. Brand new babies were left for dead on the streets. And do you know who took them in? The church. Cretan society, like American society, hates life unless it's their own. Older women, verse four, to train the younger women in what God calls good is good that children both inside the womb and outside the womb are good. Love those kiddos. That marriage to one man for one life is good. Love that husband. So if you're an older woman, a 20 year old training a teenager, or you're in your 30s or 40s training someone younger, or if you're a Christian, been a Christian for decades at like 35 years old. You are older in the faith than that 50-year-old who just got baptized last week. This is just, this is not just older in age, but older in the faith as well. You are to teach them what is good. And what, what does Paul say? What is pure, kind, to have self-control because nobody likes anybody who is out of control. And do you know what all these are a part of? the fruit of the spirit that we read in Galatians five. This is an inward reality that produces an outward behavior. This is both caught and taught. This is teaching them ladies, not to conform to your image, not to conform to your image of how you voted, of how you view masks, of how you view parenting or how you view schooling. No, this is not teaching them to conform to your image, but to teach what is good is not to point them to you. It's to point them to the image of God in the person and work of Jesus. This is what we teach is good. And don't get lost in that word, teach and train. This is not lectures. This is not classroom teaching. This is as you go discipleship. This is as you go conversations that are interrupted by kids' conversations, that are interrupted by beeps on the phone, that are interrupted by meals burning in the oven. This is as you go teaching. See, good here is not just sharing stories of how you're killing it in the Christian life. Good is also sharing stories of suffering. Because God defines suffering as good. He uses it for our good. To teach what is good, ladies, is not teaching about how good you are at being a Christian, but how good God has been to you, even when you have failed at being a Christian. Do you hear me? It's not pointing to you, it's pointing to Jesus. Listen, do you you want other women to know you or to be impressed by you? Because you can't have both. You either put up a facade or you show them the real thing by faith. Because when they know the real you, when you're pouring into others to know Christ and they know the real you, they will no longer be impressed with you, but impressed with Christ, impressed with God, whom you want them to become like, this is good, sound doctrine that produces counter-cultural women. But ladies, you're also to train one another to focus your attention homeward. Now, when we hear these words, working in the home and subject to their own husbands in verse 5, there's this tendency to trip over these concepts. So we got to do some deconstructing here so we can rebuild up these definitions. Here's what Paul's not saying. He's not locking women in the kitchen or the cleaning supply closet. Paul knows that women are crucial to the advancement of the gospel. I mean, just think about his partnership with Lydia in Acts 16, or his co-laboring with Phoebe, who delivered his letter, one of his most robust letters to the church in Rome. Nothing in the New Testament has ever suggested that Paul, Peter, or Jesus intended to restrict women only to the home. What Paul is presenting here is also no different than what he does for a man. What is one of the qualifications for elders? To be a good manager of the what? Of the marketplace? No, his home, his family. It's the same concept here with godly younger women. He's not offloading parental duties, nor homeward jobs solely on the wife. He's saying the home is of primacy, not exclusivity. What Paul affirms is that a, if a woman accepts the gift, it's a gift. If he accepts the gift of the vocation of marriage and children, she will love that calling, not neglect it. Paul is not opposing a wife's pursuit of a profession. He's opposing the denial of her primary role in the home, just like he would do for a man. I mean, look at Proverbs 31, woman. She's both an entrepreneur and a faithful wife and mother. She is socially and commercially active while she's faithful to manage the affairs of the home. And she's celebrated to the one husband that she submits to, which is the second word we're tended to trip over here in this passage, submission. For some odd reason, our culture believes that your role equates with your worth, that the more you have to submit, the less you are worth, and the more authority that you have, the more worth you have, but nothing can be further from the truth. Whether it's a female in the womb, or a female on her deathbed, a female as a CEO of marketing, or a female who sits in the vice president chair of the United States of America, all have different roles, but all have equality of worth, equality of value and dignity, because they're all from womb to tomb created in the image of God. Role never equates with your worth, sisters. This is clearly seen in Genesis one and two that male and female both are created in the image of God. Men and women both have unity their value but diversity in their authority yes man is the head and wife is the helper and before we even think that that term helper is derogatory it's not it comes from divinity how many times is god called our helper in the bible when jesus refers to the spirit that is coming what does he name him the helper Worth does not come from role. It comes from our creator. And remember, we are created from community for community. In the Trinity we are created from, we see complementarity and role, right? But equality in divinity. The father sends the son. Jesus, the son, Jesus is both Lord and servant. He's both sent by and submitted to the father, but equally divine as the father. And the Spirit is sent by both the Son and the Father, but equally divine. Complementarity in their roles as God, but equality in divinity in the Godhead. Same value, same worth, same dignity when a wife submits to her husband. Older women, this is the doctrine you're to train younger women in. This is good. Paul says, and notice what Paul does not say. He does not say for every woman to submit to every man. He says for the wife to submit to her own husbands. Why? Why? Well, this is who they are called to be. This is how they will cultivate change because Paul knows, third point, what this will accomplish. He says in the second half of verse five, that the word of God may not be reviled. See in countless places, when we see that phrase word of God or word of truth, it's synonymous with the entire counsel of scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in the beginning of his letter to the church in Ephesus, that the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, He's equating the two, that the word of God is the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will later say this is depicted in marriage in Ephesians 5. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his himself, its savior, Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You see, what this will accomplish, what a godly home accomplishes that's submitted to sound doctrine, is it reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ to a watching world. A husband that a wife is meant to follow is not domineering. He's not authoritarian. He's not abusive, and he doesn't lead her into sin. The husband a wife is meant to follow is like Christ. This reveals the gospel to a watching world. This is a husband that does not look out only for himself, but more importantly, his wife, as Christ does for the church. This is a husband that loves, a love that is marked by sacrifice, a love that is marked by servant-heartedness as Christ does towards the church. This is a husband who lays down his life to empower and to purify his wife as Christ does the church. This is sound doctrine that leads to sound and sacrificial devotion of the husband for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his wife, and for the sake of of their neighbors. You see, Paul wants our marriages to look like this. Wives, submit to your Christ-like husbands so that the word, verse five, is what? Not reviled, but revealed to your neighbors. The problem in Crete is that Christians look too much like their non-Christian neighbors and their non-Christian neighbors thought Christianity was a joke, an absolute joke. Paul wants marriages to be this way, not just for the enjoyment of the husband and wife's sake, but for their neighbor's sake, so that the word of God, God's grace, his love for the neighbors in Christ won't be reviled, but revealed through our ladies, through your sound devotion that comes from sound doctrine that you claim you believe and you submit to and you follow from this word. This whole passage verses one through 10, not just this passage about women, this whole passage is about submission. It's about submission to sound doctrine, right? Because what was wrong with the corrupt teachers? They were insubordinate to sound doctrine. See, submission is a divine reality which means it must be in a Mago Day reality. A wife is meant to submit to her husband, to follow her husband, because it reveals how the church follows Jesus. But ladies, let me let me ask you something. Who else is part of the church that follows Jesus? Your husbands. See, when you follow your husband, you are simply submitting to someone who says, I'm submitting to Christ. Christian leadership in God's economy is not upward mobility with more freedom and more authority. No, Christian leadership is downward mobility. That the more you see people leading within the church, the more you see them submitting to Christ leadership isn't less submission in the church. It's more submission. And all a Christian marriage is showing off is I'm following someone who is following Jesus. Because the reality is all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you agree with me or not, you are following somebody or something. You have willfully put yourself underneath someone's or something's authority. There is no one listening right now who is not following someone or something. How do I know this? You woke up this morning. Something motivated you to wake up and whatever motivated you to wake up is what you are following. Could be approval, could be status, could be success, money, comfort, a good feeling that you hope to get inside this morning. But here's the thing, all those earthly things whether you knowingly or unknowingly submit to and follow, if you follow them to their end, they will only take from you and enslave you. But Christianity, Christ is the only one you can submit to who won't take from you, but give life to you and free you from the things that have enslaved you. See, Jesus's life was one of submission to the Father, one of submission to his plan, only to find disapproval here on earth by the people that he loved. Only to, to find not riches, but poverty. He had nowhere to lay his head. He didn't come to gain comfort, health, and wealth. No, he came to lose his comfort on a Roman torture device called the cross, to have his life taken from him so that not life would be taken from you, but life would be imparted to you by faith in Jesus. And marriage, marriage is meant to point to this reality. Paul says this mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. What is he referring to? The first marriage in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve, that the beginning of all creation begins with marriage. And at the consummation of all things in Revelation, it ends and concludes with a divine marriage for the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus returning for his bride, the church. Older women, this is what you are to teach and train younger women in so that the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, would not be reviled but revealed to those around you because Christian marriages are to display. It's a gift. It's a gift to show off the glory of Christ's relationship to his church, that Christ came to this earth to purchase back his bride that committed spiritual adultery on him ever since he came for her. God's people in the Old Testament were always described as a wayward whore of a bride, always prostituting herself, always getting drunk on the other nation's wine. But Jesus, the bridegroom of bridegrooms, came in full submission to his father, not to be served by those who were failures in order to gain a good status with him. No, he came to serve those who have failed him, who have committed spiritually adultery on him. Him, He came to serve and to lay his life down to prove his love in full submission to the dark powers of sin, Satan, and death so that you can experience God's love for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus would take the penalty of a drunken adulterer on that cross. Death. He loved you to death. His own death, sisters, so that you can have life and life to the fullest, so that your life can reflect the submission that Christ had to the Father. And when you trust in Christ, he empowers you with the great helper the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. You don't get shamed by the Spirit. You don't get condemned by the Spirit. You don't get reviled by the Spirit. But you get God's love, the confirmation of his love for you by the Spirit, crying out, Abba, Father, you are indeed a daughter of the King, not by anything you do, but by what Jesus has done. There is no condemnation for you, sisters. There is no shame for you, sisters. You are freed from your sins. You are no longer slaves to fear but to Christ's love for you. This, sisters, is what you are to reflect so that the gospel is not reviled to your neighbors. This is sound doctrine that produces countercultural women to show off the glories of God's grace. This is what transforms homes, transforms church communities, and transforms, yes, even your neighbors who do not know Christ so they can come to know Christ. Ladies, this is Christ you are to reflect. This is the mirror you are to put yourself in front of at all points of the day. So that you remember God's fatherly love for you in Christ. You'll then know how to be that countercultural mom to your kids who loves not based on works, but because you love them, they're yours. Single ladies, those who aren't married, you're able to reflect this because you know your most important relationship status is not what isn't on your finger, but what was through Christ's hands on the cross. You are indeed a daughter of God because of Jesus. That is your most important status that is to be reflected to the world. And you are to teach that to younger women who are married, who aren't married. This is to show off Christ's character through Christ-like submission. For that's how Christ won your salvation. And that's how our sanctification will be won. And this, ladies, is not to show off how impressive we are or how good we are, but how impressive our God is because of how good he has been to us in Christ Jesus. This sound doctrine directs women to know who they are how they cultivate change, and what this will accomplish. They are to reflect, to be mirror images of their savior, Jesus, to a watching world. This sound doctrine produces counter-cultural women. Would you pray that we would be a church who cultivates this type of culture in what we teach and how we live? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for this word. Jesus, we praise you that you are the ultimate example of what it means to submit so that we can have life. Oh, Father, do not let us be consumed.